It was really bad. I mean, it really was as bad as anything we've seen at those bad movie parties, don't you think? Absolutely. With the exception of maybe Manos. That was really bad. <laughs> that was the, it was, it, it, truly for me, it was physically worse because of all the Wookiee. You know, the thing where I, I actually burst out laughing hmm. was toward the end when all the Wookiees sort of vanished. They held these rocks and they vanished and then they all right. went to this big old tree draped in these red robes and then Carrie Fisher burst into song. And the it, robots are there. It was really strange. And and like Carrie Fisher is like stroking Chewy. Yeah, that seems not right. It was weird. She's like all up on him and like stroking him as she sings this song. I'm like, what is happening? How Maybe, what spirit place are they in? And how did the robots get there? Robots don't have spirits. Oh, that's a good point. That's that's a deep theological question right there. Why were yeah. the robots there? I just there's so it's a thing, like you said, there's no good place to start and cover it all. Oh. Because everything is so uniquely bad. Like the stormtrooper falling through the balcony to his death. I was like, this balcony is supposed to be rated for Wookiees. Yeah. <laughs> and this stormtrooper just pulled right through it. And they just sort of skim right over it. They they just killed a man. He right. fell to his death. And then it's like, oh, hey, kid, how you doing? <laughs> Welcome to the Star Wars Holiday Special. Ah! <laughs> What is up, my nerds? Welcome inside Pop Culture with Fanboy and Know-It-All. And back inside our crazy brains. I'm Jake. I am Paul. And to clear up any confusion, we are not at all sponsored by George Lucas. <laughs> so you can rest at ease. This should be a good podcast. <laughs> that was a cheap shot, man. But well-deserved. Well-deserved. You know, we should have really seen the se- the problems with the sequels coming when we realized how bad George Lucas's judgment was with the Star Wars holiday special. Well, he didn't have much to do with the holiday special, right? Well, he could have he could have ter- he could have made sure it didn't happen, right? Well, he could have made sure that it didn't happen. But if someone wanted to make a holiday special off of one of your creations, would you really turn it down? I'm of the Bill Watterson persuasion myself, so no. I would have shut that down. <laughs> I am such a huge fan of Bill Watterson's approach to his creative material. He has not let anybody desecrate it for as long as he's been alive. And the saddest part is that is somebody going to get their claws on it after Bill Watterson passes away and, and ruin Calvin and Hobbes for all of future generations? You know, I don't know how pure you would really be, actually. I oh, yeah. I call that as a possible falsehood. Because, okay, say you create a great movie about this podcast, right? Uh-huh. It does really well. You're played by George Clooney. I'm played by Gary Oldman. It's perfect, right? Okay. Makes $100 million. Everybody's clamoring for you, but you think deep down in your soul that you might not ever write anything as brilliant as that again. You might never create anything quite as good. And I definitely so, am thinking that. 
Yeah. And, and so you think about your wife, you think about your four, possibly seven kids by then you think of, of all of that future stuff. And someone says, listen, listen, Jake, what we want to do is create a holiday musical special based on this podcast movie of yours. Would you be able to say no? It would set you up for life. We're going to give you $50 million for this podcast. But all that you already described, I'm set up for life. <laughs> no, no, the studios take it all. Oh, the, George oh why am I, so then how is the Christmas special going to set me up for life? Well, because because that's an ancillary thing. You, we all know that George Lucas made all of his money through toys, right? Toys, I'm fine with. So if there was a little action figure of you and me, that would that would be all right. That'd but be fine. No a Funko face. Pop of each of us with the big heads, you know, the cute little Funko Pop. Yeah, just fine with that. Everyone has a price, Jake. That's all I'm saying. Everybody. My price is halfway between George Lucas and Bill Watterson. <laughs> we are diving back into Hurts So Good this episode, as well as reviewing a new film, a new short film, perhaps, an animated short film, if you will. Available on Disney Plus, and both are Star Wars holiday specials. One is Lego, and the other is garbage. <laughs> There's no fun thing. Like, they weren't made exactly 40 years apart. They're 42 years apart from each other. It's been a while. It's been a hot minute. And um, there's potentially some similarities, potentially some differences between these holiday specials. Beyond the fact that they were made four decades, you know, apart from one another. Yes, there are other differences or there are a few differences just a few possibly the inclusion of legos being one of those and we thought you know it's the beginning of, of the holiday December season and the holiday season and the mandalorian is in mid-season and what better way than to celebrate the new release of the lego Star Wars holiday special than by doing a hurt so good on the original Star Wars holiday special from 1978. And so this episode is all things Star Wars holiday specials, the only two they've officially put out. So we <laughs> dove into both of them. It's going to be a wild ride. And we figured uh, what better way than to start at the very beginning. And so we are going to journey back into our hurt so good time travel machine and talk about the star wars holiday special from 1978 paul for a hot minute i debated starting our segment on the star wars holiday special from 1978 the way the the special itself spent most of its time. And that's with the language of the Wookiees of Kashyyyk. And <laughs> uh, after one really poor attempt, I couldn't do it. I could not bring myself to do it. Paul, this, let me just start this hurt so good segment by saying this might be the film that hurt the most to try to get through out of all the ones we've ever done. Oh yes. I think that's absolutely true. Absolutely true. I was watching it with my wife, actually. And so you know that I have this fondness for bad movies. And I force her to watch 
more than probably her fair share of bad movies. Yeah. You know, we had just watched a, a riff tracks on something uh, the day before, as a matter of fact. And turned on the Star Wars holiday special. She turned to me after it was over and said, that is by far the worst movie we have seen in a long long time it may be and, and it, it's two hours i mean it's two hours of holiday specialness um it, it may it may be worse than plan nine from outer space i yeah. would say that it's less watchable than trolls 2 it is just it is a hard hard special to watch i was not filled with christmas glee no i it actually took me two nights to watch it because the first night I turned it on, you needed to sit through the whole thing. I I turned it on the first night, and after fifteen minutes of incoherent Wookie garbled, just <laughs> screeching and shouting, I was like, I can't do this tonight. <laughs> I, I I am gonna have to come back to this because my I was just physically unable to continue watching it at that point. Like it was not sitting well with me mentally. <laughs> I I kept waiting for something else and I just had to say I will I will come back tomorrow night because this is too much. Well, see, and you hit on really the first problem with the Star Wars holiday special. They built the whole special around a character and characters that don't actually speak any understandable language at all. I mean, it's... That's, that is what two-thirds of the dialogue is, essentially. Yeah. And there's no subtitles. You just hear them growl and roar and grunt. And that's, that's charming when you have a bunch of other characters to, uh, to interact with. And at least one of them can understand you. But in this holiday special... You had four different Wookiees talking, and most of the film. That's a lot of that's a lot of Wookiness. That's a yeah. lot of Wookiness. Any parent with a kid who's ever watched the Star Wars movies learned really quick how irritating Wookiee is, outside of it being used as a comedic prop. Right. I mean, when you look back at the films that Chewie is really in. Most of his dialogue, and I'll use air quotes there, is so that one another character can fill in exactly what he said in a comedic way, right? That's most of it. And that was amusing in most yeah. contexts. Yeah. But then any again, any parent who's had a kid who then just tried to imitate Chewbacca for minutes on end after the films realized, oh, that really, really is like raking every single nerve I have, that child needs to be quiet. Yeah. And for the Star Wars holiday <laughs> special, it was like they thought, how about we add three more and we do like 10 minute segments at a time with just different irritating. I mean, it's literally like Jim Carrey from Dumb and Dumber when he says, do you want to hear the most irritating sound in the world? And then start screeching. That is all of the dialogue for 10 minute chunks at a time in this film. Oh my goodness. So, we should probably give an outline of what the plot actually is. And it's fairly simple, right? Han Solo, Chewbacca, they're coming back to the planet of Kashyyyk uh, to celebrate Earth Day. No, Life Day. Life Day. 
their life day. And uh, it's a big holiday in the galaxy of Star Wars. There's been lots of references ever since, um, but it's especially a big deal on Kashyyyk. And so they're coming back home to celebrate life day with the family. But the problem is, is that the Empire, as is usual for the Empire, wants to make things difficult. Han and Chewie are wanted by the Imperial forces that be, so they're going to lock down Kashyyyk. They're searching for any rebels, and they spend a whole bunch of time, actually, in Chewbacca's family's house. And we learned for the first time back in 1978 that Chewbacca actually left a wife at home. Um, a very good. A very and, uh, pervert, dad. pervert dad. A pervert dad named Itchy. <laughs> And then a son, who might have been the most annoying of all of them, named Lumpy. But they did they did use some nice conditioner for all their hair. Their hair did look very nice. So essentially, it's the the entire plot sort of revolves around them trying to bring Chewbacca and Han back home to celebrate Earth Day. Han Solo is you know he, they got all the big names there. Harrison Ford was there. Mark Hamill was there. Carrie Fisher was there singing. Um, it was uh, quite the coup for CBS to get all of these people together. Apparently, not everybody read their contracts as closely as they probably should have um, because they were all there and right. all making these little cameos. And, and that's pretty much it. And they she all, back home. They all looked like they regretted it. <laughs> They kind of did, didn't they? Yeah. And beyond beyond the incomprehensible decision to base most of the film in Wookiee was the ways in which they just invented all this nonsensical, they just like ran the Star Wars canon that wasn't really canon yet at the time, right? Right, right. And they just ran it through like a paper shredder. Like they only had one film and yet they still managed to like ruin all the continuity. Like all of a sudden, Luke and Leia are all BFFs with Chewie and his family. Like, and have been for a long time. They've known their family forever and they just casually make video calls and they they all know each other, even though it was clear from New Hope, these are new relationships. They've just met Chewie the Wookiee for the first time. And now all of a sudden everybody's BFFs and hanging out together and calling each other on their video phones, secret video phones. Yeah. It was, uh, it's hard to even know where to begin with how strange this particular, um, this particular, I, I even hesitate to dive in too, too quickly. So I'm just going to say that that part of the weirdness, actually, I think you might've found it weirder than I did, Jake, because you didn't grow up in the era of the television variety show, right? right? I was, I grew up with the television variety show. That was what half of the shows seemed like they, they were. So it wasn't unusual to see these skits where people are having fun, laughing, making, you know, doing these very silly things and then zipping into a, into a big heartfelt song. It, that was sort of normal that was my normal childhood in front of the TV. And I can remember actually as a child, I was nine years old when this holiday special came out. 
I was super excited about it. I was ready for it. And so I remembered little <laughs> chunks of it as time went on, just little tiny chunks. And I realized how undiscerning I was as a child, because I'm pretty sure that as a Star Wars fanatic at the time, I'm pretty sure I loved this whole special. Yeah, I was, that was going to be one of my questions was to see, one, did you watch it? Two, how much did you remember having watched of like of it and your reaction to it? Yeah, I I really didn't remember very much of it. I remembered the house. I remembered the green carpet that was in the 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 Chewie's home. Um, I remembered that he did have a family. I remembered that all the characters were in it. I was I was more of a C three PO R two D two fan, so I was mm-hmm. happy that they had a little scene. I didn't remember. You know, the one thing that, that a lot of people take away from the special was the first, it was the first um, appearance of Boba Fett. Right. I had no recollection of just how weird that cartoon was. Mm. It was very strange. So my my recollection was, was pretty piecemeal. I think it hit me as a nine-year-old pretty nicely. I think even at the time, I definitely didn't think it was like Star Wars. I mean, Star sure. Wars was the end all be all at the time. And this one had some characters that I really liked. And so I, I, nothing could be said bad about it. I don't know if I made my parents watch it with me. If so, sorry, mom and dad. <laughs> well, I, that it's listed on IMDb as being an adventure family musical. And, you know, I had the perception of it as a family variety show, like you said, and most of it fits squarely into this frame of view where you can see a six to nine year old child being enamored with this in the 70s, being like, yep, there's my favorite characters. I like the robots. I like the big Wookiees and there's a cartoon and, you know, I've heard of these bands and then, you know, a couple of a couple of cameos for the adults with what is it? B Arthur, right. And Harvey Corman, Harvey Corman. But, but then they drop in the, the sequence with uh, Diane, Diane Carroll, Carroll. And I was legitimately uncomfortable. That was, I was like, is this a family show? Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) what happens is, this guy, what is his name? Is Art Carney? He's, Art Carney, the actor, right? Yeah, he's a pretty famous dude. He he is he plays a a repairman, a salesman, or something who's pretty Trader, good with all himself. these all these all these Wookies. And he comes by and he brings what essentially is it feels like some sort of porn cartridge. Yeah, you know where. He gives it to to Itchy, the the weird grandpa, and he essentially says, "Oh, yeah, this is going to be great. This is very stimulating." He says, and so Itchy goes into this this thing where he he has this player that that essentially pipes in this musical number straight into his head that features Diane Carroll, who's a great singer. How they talked her into doing this, I don't know. But essentially seducing this really old, perverted Wookiee. It was, that was the, that 
in a special with lots and lots of weird things going on, that had to have been one of the weirdest, especially for, you know, as you say, a family variety show. Right. Most of the other stuff felt bad and dumb and weird and like, okay, that's a poor choice for storytelling or entertainment or whatever. That one just felt inappropriate, completely inappropriate in that. Like, I just, I cannot fathom how that got past anybody to say, let's be, because it literally, her video, her, her segment literally started off being introduced under the table, like where you see the traders like secretly telling the grandfather, oh yeah, I got this thing for you. You know, it's like, God, it's real, wow. <laughs> He's being super creepy about it. The grandpa puts it on and it starts, I am your fantasy. I am your ideal fantasy and I am here to please you. And you're just like, what is what is happening right now? It felt like it felt like something out of Blade Runner as opposed to out of the Star Wars holiday special. Yeah, and kids right. you're like kids were watching this. I, I, I guess the defense would be since I didn't remember it as a kid, like I was not shocked. I was not I don't remember feeling, oh, that's what porn is. You know, I I'd never had a moment like that. But it it as an adult yes it was super super bothersome i think your parents were watching with you and they probably turned it off or made you go get some more popcorn from the kitchen at that point i don't know it was very strange i do think that as a child i would have had very little patience for all those musical numbers i could not i always watched the variety shows carol burnett had the best variety show back when I was a kid, but I never watched any of the singing because the singing was just boring. And I don't think Star Wars could have redeemed that. I straight up fell asleep during the B. Arthur Cantina song. That was the best part. I had to wake up and rewind it because I was like, I I, I fell asleep. No, I, I honestly, that was the highlight of the entire special for me. Really? B. Arthur Cantina sketch. How so? I mean... It's not hard to be better than everything else, but I thought that for me, I thought the cartoon was the best part. Oh, no, the cartoon was not. The cartoon was like some sort of weird fever dream drug flashback. From I'm not the- disagreeing with that. I'm just saying it was still the best part. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a bizarre little cartoon. And I think lots of people would agree with you, but I, I honestly really, I genuinely enjoyed B. Arthur singing. I be Arthur from other things. It didn't make any sense within the context of the show, but you know, her, her you got to see all the creatures from the cantina hanging out. Oh. You got to see B. Arthur sort of in Harvey Corman sort of talk. They had this sort of love triangle, not love triangle, but Harvey Corman was making the moves on B. Arthur, which was, which was both charming and awkward all at the same time. B. Arthur would pour drinks into a hole, like a hole literally on top of Harvey Corman's head to serve him. And then B. Arthur just burst into song. And I, I thought it was, I, I, I won't say it was touching, but I'd never heard B. Arthur sing. I thought that was nice. I thought that the fact that she visited with a giant hamster in the middle of the song was a nice touch. I I think that if there is one reason to watch the holiday special, it would be B. Arthur's song. I still can't agree with that. But to each his own. 
Um, yeah, it's filled with inexplicable things. I mean, even even the cartoon is another example of how it weirdly plays with the concept of space and time. In that, in the conceit of this variety show, the kid they make the child Wookie watch this cartoon to distract him yeah. <laughs> as his house is being torn apart by stormtroopers. And then he's watching the adventures of his dad in Han Solo. So apparently in the space of a couple of weeks, <laughs> they've whoever's producing content in the Star Wars universe has already optioned Han and Luke yeah, exactly. and Chewie's stories and is telling these stories for a Saturday morning special. And making, how would that even get approved? How would that get improved? Right, by with the Empire having so much control. Yeah, it doesn't seem logical. If, if anyone's really curious about what we're talking about, if you haven't seen the Star Wars Holiday Special, it is free online on YouTube. So you can do a search for it. I watched a version from Ohio because they kept flashing the little things down below. Um, you cannot get this from any official channels because George Lucas has completely and totally disowned it. He he refuses to acknowledge that it even exists. So you have to be you have to to find like a bootleg copy somewhere or watch it on YouTube. Yeah, which is fascinating um that it's allowed to be on YouTube, but it's been up there for years. It's got millions of views. Uh and we know YouTube can shut stuff down if it even has more than 10 or 15 seconds of source material that its owner doesn't want there or once right. removed or, you know, demonetized, whatever that is. Like I, my video, for example, I did a video, I did a series of Instagram story videos where I shot my wife with a Nerf gun during quarantine <laughs> and would put music clips behind them. Cause you can do that in Instagram stories. But when I tried to upload the whole selection to YouTube, it was blocked for months because people claiming their little tiny clips of songs behind my Nerf videos. Right. Oh my goodness, really? Yeah. And so I know Disney and Lucas, like whoever owns the rights, and I think it's Disney at this point, right? Owns the rights to yeah. this yeah, special. They could have it off of YouTube in a second. And yet they've allowed it to be online to get millions of views over the years. I think it's sort of like, I think somebody over at Disney... Yeah, does it just to agitate George Lucas? Like, <laughs> no, we're good with it. We're good with it. Stay in there, George. We're fine. Well, and it's sort of quasi can canon now. I mean, it's become such a famous bomb um, from such a successful series that you almost—I don't know. There's there's a really weird energy behind it, and and even even people who are very enmeshed within the Star Wars universe, they they reference it. You know. We had talked a few podcasts ago about the uh, presidential debate, the first presidential debate between between uh, Trump and Biden, and how dispirited that that whole thing just made me feel. Mark Hamill actually gave my favorite tweet on on the whole subject. He said that debate is the worst thing I've ever seen, and I was in the Star Wars holiday. <laughs> That's a mic drop moment right there, folks. <laughs> Paul, was there anything else you wanted uh, beyond the mic drop moment? Did you have anything else you wanted to highlight from the Star Wars Holiday Special before we moved on to the Lego Star Wars Holiday Special? You know, I, I have to say that Harvey Corman playing a four-armed 
female version of Julia Child might have been one of the more surreal moments I think I've ever witnessed. The um, Chewie's wife watches this cooking show to, I guess, cook food for Life Day, and uh, Harvey Corman is the cook. And I think I will forever remember just stir, whip, stir, whip, 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 stir, beat. <laughs> yeah, it it felt. I could not, and that one in particular, you could not find that line to say, I think it's trying to be funny, but it's somehow missing funny while yeah, I could, you couldn't figure out how with that concept, it missed being actually funny. Here's the thing. Harvey Corman is super funny. I just mentioned Carol Burnett. He is super funny in that. We've, most of us have seen Blazing Saddles. He's maybe the best thing in that movie, I think. Um, He can be funny reading the phone book. It's a sign of how bad this special is, is that he was not at all funny here. No. Yeah, this is truly an especially bad film. I honestly, there's, there's heard so good films that I think you can watch by yourself and still get pleasure out of. I thought China Salesman was one of those. I think Troll 2 is one of those. Uh, the Star Wars Holiday Special is decidedly not one of those. It is hard to watch by yourself. If and when you decide to watch this, you have to have people with you yeah. to and mock it. Honestly, I think if you had people there, it would be a hoot. I agree. I would love to hear what you and Tim Nestor, a frequent guest of this show or an occasional guest of this show, might do with this particular show. It would be pretty pretty entertaining i think much more entertaining than the show itself that's right the star wars holiday special it's available on youtube thanks to disney apparently turning a middle finger blind eye to george lucas (laughs) for the last couple of years and uh what or have you seen it did you watch it originally we'd like to hear what you think i'm on we're on twitter i'm at jake underscore roberson paul paul but now it's time for a review of a new Star Wars holiday special, the 2020 Legos Star Wars holiday special. Life Day rolls ever, ever on. 42 years after Life Day was introduced, through the Star Wars Holiday Special, we have a revisitation. Now, apparently, elsewhere in the Star Wars canon, Life Day pops up. I get that. But we only care about it for the Holiday Specials. And that's why we're here to talk about Life Day version 2.0, Holiday version 2.0, with the Legos Star Wars Holiday Special that was released on Disney Plus in November 2020. Paul? You're a fan of Legos. <laughs> <laughs> Why, yes, I am, Jake. Yes. <laughs> well, and this this special actually sort of illustrates, I think, what I was talking about the last segment, which is the sort of quasi-canonical relationship that the the Star Wars holiday special, even though no one will admit to to having done anything with it. Um it it still has a place within the Star Wars universe, it, at least within this Lego Star Wars universe. You have these because not only do you have this reference of Life Day and lots of references to Life Day, actually, but you have Chewie's old family showing up. 
You know, Itchy's even there. Not nearly as pervy. He seems like a nice old chap in the Lego version. Yeah. It it feels a bit of a glutton. Yeah. But, but really it's life day. You should be allowed to splurge, you know, on your caloric intake. That's fair. So, and yes, I am a fan of Legos. I'm a fan of Lego movies. And this I found absolutely delightful. This is actually the show that even though I thought that I liked the Star Wars holiday special when I was nine, this is the special that I really wanted to see when I was nine. Yeah, it's significantly shorter. So that's nice. An hour. It's not, you know, not even. It's 45 minutes. 45 minutes without commercials. It's tight. Hey, no commercials on Disney Plus. That's another bonus. Yeah. You're already paying, so you don't have to sit through any ads. Um, and, you know, with Legos, you can get away with these days with doing some really quirky things that feel native to what we're used to now with Lego renditions of content. Right. That, um, that now feel appropriate for the medium in a way that all of the extra stuff really just didn't. The, yeah. the setup of the original Star Wars holiday special just really doesn't lend itself, you know, to the actual Star Wars content. Whereas the silliness here works in the Lego universe. Yes. Well, and there were much fewer musical numbers, which is also a benefit. That That's where most of that forty extra 45 minutes fell off was... Yeah. Just no musical numbers. And although we missed the the loss of B. Arthur in the, the Star Wars Lego holiday special, there were a lot of really cool things that, that it it had. One of the things that, that I love about these these Lego movies is that they're pretty smart in their own silly way. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that anyone who is familiar with one of the things about the original special, you could tell that most people who were apparently involved in this had no idea what Star Wars was about at all. They had no clue. And of course you didn't have the body of, of, of movies and television and comics and graphic novels and video games that, that, that Lego Star Wars was able to pull from. But this showed a real knowledge of the Star Wars universe and for a fan of Star Wars, it seemed like there was an Easter egg, some sort of reference to an old Star Wars movie or TV show or, or what, whatever, every 15 seconds. It just kept coming. And, and I think that that's one of the more delightful parts of this particular special is that you just thought, oh, I remember that from this movie. I remember this scene from this movie. And they always had a nice little twist, you know? You have, for instance, you have Luke looking at the at the double suns on on Tatooine, that very sensitive moment that everybody remembers from the original Star Wars movie, A New Hope. And he's drinking a little milk box, <laughs> and the milk is blue, and it was just pretty delightful. I there were there were just so many great moments with this special. I thought, did you yeah. agree? Yeah, I think it it certainly had some it had an advantage that uh was just impossible in 1978 versus 2020 and that is it had a lot more material to play with and to have fun with and to pay homage to or send up or whatever it wanted to do with it it clearly had a lot more 
um, you know, source material to to mess around and have fun with than in 1978, where all that anybody knew of the Star Wars universe was A New Hope. And so it's, uh, it, it plays really well with that and uh, takes advantage of sort of the weird spirit realm multiverse concept that is kind of introduced in the star Wars holiday special on life day, where on life day, you have a weird ability to enter through a circular portal into new dimensions, you know, like we're loosely the plot in uh, this Lego star Wars special is that Ray is trying to figure out how to train her own Padawan and finds that she can go to this special place on life day as uh, as her team, you know, her friends are trying to set up a life day celebration and the millennium Falcon, she can travel to this planet and get some special insight into how to be a better master and ends up creating all sorts of, uh, dysfunction by messing up the space time continuum between the other nine films in the Skywalker saga. <laughs> yeah. I tell you what, the emperor was not very pleased to find out that he did not rule the empire. In Ray's time, he was expecting to to be really quite the guy at that time, and to find out that he was thrown down some sort of big shaft, it was a big disappointment for him. That's right, and I and what I was really pleased with the Lego Star Wars Holiday Special is that it gained momentum the whole time. Yes. Like, I actually thought it kind of started a little slow. I wasn't all the way there, but then once it kind of got into its conceit, it really snowballed in a good way. And, you know, I think we're used to thinking of snowballing in a bad way and something getting worse and worse. This started off kind of mediocre, in my opinion, but then snowballed into being something kind of delightful. I would agree. I would agree. And and it's sped up as any good, you know, it's it seems appropriate in the Star Wars universe that, that it sort of blasted into hyperspace after a while because, man, it was just so quick and so smart and so funny and... Of course, there were lots of holes in in the show, as there were apparently in the actual universe. But it's it's Star Wars Lego. You don't care, and it went so fast that you barely even noticed. It was it was charming. It was really charming. Um, I just love how they are able to play with the tropes that you find in Star Wars. And make fun of them, but make fun of them in such a loving way where it doesn't make you doubt at all the original saga. It doesn't make you want to laugh at the original canon, um, but it does allow you to laugh at, at the at the franchise in a way that that I think a lot of other other things probably would not allow you to do. Right, it's got a sense of self awareness in, right. in what it... self awareness, you know. What's that? It's it it mocks but gently. Right. You you can tell it cares about the source material and that's why you don't care that it's poking fun at it because it's poking fun at things that you yourself can laugh about it as a fan and say, "Yeah, you know, that was kind of silly or that was funny or the way they sent that particular moment up, you know, I get that wink wink nudge nudge." And and it so it ends up being playfully you know, playfully jesting with itself yeah. in a way that actually shows heart in a, in something that's really lighthearted and not really meant to get you all emotional. It, it still manages to have a heart to it 
in a in a not sad way, but just in a playful way. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that I thought that the original Star Wars special really just lacked. There was no connection to anything. You know, it didn't feel like Star Wars. It didn't feel like a holiday special. It didn't feel like you should care about anything that was going on or have any sort of fun at all. I mean, it was like <laughs> it was like the Empire made it and was like, yeah, this the people are going to love this. <laughs> Let me ask you a very strange question that just popped in my head. What makes spoofs of Star Wars so generally good? You know, because when I when I think about some of the some of the spoofs that I've really enjoyed, um, I think about Thumb Wars. I don't know if you've ever seen Thumb no, Wars, Jake, but that's that is a hoot. Um, Robot Chicken's version of of Star Wars has always been super fun. Um, Phineas and Ferb, <laughs> which I've never watched, so you'll have to vouch you for that. Watch that one, yeah. But but even the original Spaceballs was pretty fun. I I don't know why these these spoofs. How can you do so many spoofs on Star Wars? Make them all different and make them all good. I don't quite get that. Yeah, I wonder if it doesn't have anything to do with the fact that when you have a source material that so many people are familiar with, you don't. You don't have to be too niche in your approach to the spoof. It's like, and you can, and when that, which you're spoofing, not only have so many people seen it, but it's based on such standard fare. You know, it's the, it's classic hero's journey. It's not, that's the funny thing about Star Wars is outside of the setting and the special effects, it's not like the story itself is that original, right? You know, it's, it's classic mythology, and so it's themes that resonate and it's something that's been viewed and picked apart and laughed at over the years. And so there's so many different ways, I think, because there's so much shared experience around them that you can make these jokes knowing that people are going to get them. You don't have to explain them. You don't have to be too on the nose. You can you can do little winking things knowing that all sorts of fans are going to get it and be pleased with it. And so I think I wonder if that doesn't lend itself to to yeah. why these spoofs and send ups land where maybe for other source material they don't. Yeah. And I think it does speak I, I totally agree with you. And I think it also speaks to the universe that George Lucas created, you know, because I think that it is it is both simple and rich. And maybe that's not only is that a a, a big key to success for any holiday get together. I think it, it really works for for this type of treatment. You know, I think that the simplicity makes it universal. The richness gives you a lot of areas to play with. Um, I find it somewhat ironic that that Star Wars fans can get so worked up if something within the canon doesn't meet their expectations. I mean, you can just look at, at what people have thought about The Last Jedi to to know how passionate they can get. And yet it is so easily and so delightfully spoofed by everybody. It's crazy. I think that, I think Jake, that you and I could even do a Star Wars spoof that would not be completely abysmal. I mean, I hate to give us too much credit, but. You already look a little like a Wookiee. That's right. I'm, I'm hairy. Um, and I make noises that people find unpleasant in their ears. (laughs) You know, I think, too, as much credit as we can give to the Marvel Cinematic Universe for sort of 
making uh, superheroes more populist than niche and geeky. You know, we have to also remember, and it's harder to remember since it came out so long ago, that Star Wars kind of did the same for sci-fi and has done the same for sci-fi over the years. So there are so many more, you know, casual fans or mid-range fans of these things that, um, you know, that are more willing to to not take the source material too seriously. Uh, yes, you have your Uber fans who got angry about, you know, who get angry about so many different dumb things. But I think that's a really small percentage of Star Wars fans. I think most are probably more similar to you and I in that we have some general knowledge. We're interested. We've, we're a little bit nerdy in some aspects, but also pretty casual. You know, we're not getting yeah. angry. We're not writing fan fiction. I'm not at least. <laughs> um, and so we don't have as much emotional connection to the source material the way your real hardcore fans do. And right. so we're also more okay with those types of jokes. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. I think that we're the type of fans. I mean, we're we're deeply invested. I think that both you and I are deeply invested within the Star Wars universe in our own ways. But it's because it's such a fun ride. You know, I don't think that either of us really care exactly how fast the Millennium Falcon can go. I don't think we care about some of some of the other things that you find people very very passionately um debating. Um, I think that we just enjoy it. And I think that that's, that is how George Lucas originally wanted these movies to be absorbed. You know, I think that, that he, 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 one of the problems with, with Lucas as time went on is he took his own universe so seriously and right. it's not a very serious universe. Yeah. And this, I love it. It's a great way to bring it full circle. The Lego star Wars holiday special literally spoke to that as there's a scene that specifically features Obi-Wan Kenobi being really frustrated about trade talks. <laughs> and then the scene just moves on. I mean, it's yeah. brilliant in its subtlety too, in that it just quickly brushes past that, lets it be there for those who are ready for it and then moves on. It's not going to get bored. It's not going to weigh you yeah. down with extra jokes. Yeah. Yeah. It's there and gone. Just as you say it, if you have Disney plus it is, a delightful way to spend an hour with the fam, I think, or, you know, just an hour building Legos if you're alone and, you know, just or 45 minutes watching it and 15 minutes for Legos. So. Oh yeah, that's true. That's true. It's uh, if, if you're really feeling daring, you can watch uh, the, the holiday special and the Lego holiday special back to back and see what you think of both of them. That's right. And it'll still only be half the time of one extended edition <laughs> movie from Lord of the Rings trilogy. So there you go. <laughs> you don't see a lot of Lord of the Rings spoofs for some reason. Not yet. Not yet. But maybe one day. Maybe one day. Maybe, maybe that's what I'll do with my life. Now it's time for the most least important thing. On the most least important thing, the way we love to wrap up every single little show of ours, no matter how big or little it actually is. Uh, that's what the most least important thing is all about. It can be big, it can be little, and we can do whatever the heck we want with it. 
magnify it, shrink it down. You know, we're basically the Rick Moranis of making things bigger or smaller in the podcast world when it comes to the most least important thing. We're shrinking things. We're blowing them up. Yeah. Honey, I shrunk the things. That's right. Which what it is. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Paul, what do you got for us today? Well, I, I do have to say this is right. This is might be the most least, most least important thing I've ever done. Number one, it's completely on topic. Number two, it's also a very big thing inherently, and it's surrounding a very small thing. There is a there is a new study out by NRG that actually studies the biggest, most popular, most um, powerful entertainment franchises in the world. They interviewed three hundred and fifty thousand people to find out what the what the strongest franchises in the world were. And Jake, number one, features one of the tiniest characters in entertainment history. Thumbelina? Baby Yoda. Baby Yoda. Number one, the number one franchise according to this poll from NRG is The Mandalorian. The Mandalorian, not Star Wars. The Mandalorian. So how are they measuring strength? What they are doing is they were asking people, they were asking respondents to think about the these entertainment franchises as what were the most bold, the most inspiring, and the most thought-provoking franchises. Mandalorian was number one, which means that, that NRG thinks that it can stand the test of time. Oh. So that was followed up by Marvel's The Avengers, and Netflix's The Stranger Things. The Stranger Things. The Stranger Things. Yeah. Yeah. Netflix's Stranger Things. It was uh, it was kind of an interesting list. You know, you have tons and tons of Avengers, single Avengers, that made the top 20 in terms of strong franchise, strong thought-provoking franchises. Uh, Thor, Iron Man, even, uh, even Black Widow made the list even Mm. though her movie isn't even out yet. And yet Star Wars, one of the biggest franchises in the world that The Mandalorian is in, didn't make the top 20. That's fascinating. I mean, the research geek in me is like, I got to see how they phrase these questions, how they're presented, what's the wording, you know, what's how can we factor in recency bias? Because there's, is this a blind question where they provide given prompts because it just doesn't make any sense to me that the mandalorian would top that list like it just when presented just as is if right. you know, in my mind i'm like how does the mandalorian top the list unless there's something weird about how this survey was conducted yeah it's it's actually pretty fascinating and i think that number it, it actually speaks to my uneducated brain to a few different things it speaks to number one the cultural popularity of Baby Yoda, who just got his name in the last episode. Um, I think that that Baby Yoda has become such a cultural phenomenon that it sort of helped push that up. But I think it also speaks to, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, the depth of the show. You know, I think that the show has a certain quality to it that makes it, it's sort of blended in within this universality that we've already talked about with the Star Wars universe. Um, and it's sort of, in some ways, I hate to say it, but but redeemed the Star Wars universe in a way. 
I mean, I think I think that that the Mandalorian might be better than um, the last three Star Wars movies in a way. Mm. In terms of the style, in terms of the the texture of the show, um, in terms of a lot of different things, they feel like they. Even though it's not it's not a, a hefty, weighty show. This isn't the Sopranos we're talking about. This isn't the wire. But it does feel like it has a little bit more weight to it in some ways than than some of the Star Wars movies. Yeah. I just still don't think, even with that comparison, that it should still land above something else. And that's of course my opinion. And I'm not <laughs> two hundred and forty thousand people that were surveyed. Uh, I won't spoil this for our, because there's still episodes to come and things could change, but I'll say that, you know, as we're continuing to see Mandalorian season two come out, I think I'm sort of Statler and Waldorfing with you on the Mandalorian and I'll just leave it there. Uh, It'd be interesting because that's a, a bit of about an about face from where we were. Yeah. Which is, you know. Hence my deep pull with the Statler Waldorf reference. Oh man. I thought the last episode was the best in the season. Oh, mercy. All right. We're going to have a lot to talk about when it comes time to wrap up <laughs> for season two of the Mandalorian on the show. That'll promise to be a riveting episode of podcast cinema, but uh, now it's time for something completely different. <laughs> my most least important thing uh, is is, you know, very much not Star Wars related. And that is, Paul, a little channel on YouTube that uh, has been going for a little over 10 years now. I've interviewed for, I've interviewed one of the, the members of this channel in a previous lifetime of mine. Dude Perfect, we've talked about him on this show. Paul, do you know what milestone they just hit? That makes me feel aspirational, even as I feel a little bit jealous. I really, I have no clue. They just hit 12 billion total views. Oh my goodness. Of their videos on YouTube. With how many videos they've put out, that puts puts them at an average of 48 million views per video. That's crazy crazy town for a bunch of like a third of those are yours right (laughs) only a third of those are just me so congratulations to dude perfect i sort of see them as like you know you're talking about earlier you're talking about alternate versions of you and other universes the dude perfect guys are that for me in that you know there's these they're good kind of all-around athletes none of them were great enough to be like superstars in any sport but yet they were goofy enough to create this sports comedy YouTube channel. And they now have over 54.3 million subscribers. Nuts. That is more than Jimmy Fallon, Conan O'Brien, Jimmy Kimmel. Like they're not even sniffing 54.3 million subscribers on YouTube. Wow. I wonder how much they make, you know, they're, they're they're making millions a year. Do you think that their YouTube channel, would they be a, a fertile ground for a holiday special of their own? They, I mean, technically they've already done it. You know, one of their classic pieces of content are their stereotypes videos. And a couple of years ago, they did a Christmas stereotypes <laughs> video. So, you know, they're already, they're already cashing in on that cow. <laughs> so anyways, congratulations to the dude. Perfect guys. My, uh, alternate life, alter egos. 
<sighs> I'm not jealous at all. Not, I'm jealous. not jealous. Not jealous at all. But that's it for us on this episode. It was almost all Star Wars related, but I just had my envy got the best of me and I had to, <laughs> had to just live vicariously through Dude Perfect's 12 billion views. Crazy. On YouTube. If you're uh, if you're in the social media space, you can catch up with us on Twitter. I'm at Jake underscore Roberson. I am at AC Paul. But until next time, we'll catch you on the flip side. Bye. Oh, 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 oh,